Thanks, Natalie. Good morning again. Let's jump right into it. I was uh, asleep. This was a while back. Last year was asleep, and um, and Luke uh, came and got me, woke me up. I asked permission from Cambria and Luke to tell the story, and they had been processing uh, uh, together, as many of you know, that lost their mom a couple of years ago, and uh, as you can imagine, it's a process of working through, talking through, praying through uh, that loss that is uh, so devastating. And uh, Luke had a sense that as they were talking together in Cambria's room, that there was something more that was going on, uh, something that was uh, darker and of a spiritual nature. So he came and woke me up, and we, I went in there, and, and of course there was uh, tears happening, and as I entered in, sensed uh, a darkness that was there, uh, a deeper sadness, really, and asked them what was going on, and as they shared, recognized um, that it was a little bit beyond emotional sadness, a little bit beyond uh, just doubts and struggle that would, of course, accompany for all of us if we lost our mom at such young ages. But there was something spiritual happening, and not of the good kind. There was a, a lying that was happening. There was a deception that was happening. We started this series, as, as Natalie mentioned, Thin Places, and we talked about this idea that, yes, we live in this physical world, and yet there's also, Scripture teaches us um, throughout uh, the Old and New Testament that there is a spiritual reality that is in our midst, that we're not always aware. In fact, we're often oblivious to that. And yet there's moments, we're calling them thin places, when it seems the, the spiritual and the physical come together to a certain degree. Some have said it's as if sometimes when you're reading scripture or in life, you, you see the curtain, that veil between the physical and the spiritual is pulled and separated and you get to see through the veil. It talked about how thin places can be understood as when heaven touches earth. Yes, and certainly that was true of Pastor Gabby's message yesterday with the, the stairway that Jacob saw and the angels descending and ascending and God there. That was heaven and the, the agenda of heaven, the purpose of heaven, the healing of heaven flowing into our earth. He saw it and he said, surely this is an amazing place. God is present here and he named it Bethel the house of God, that oftentimes in those thin places, those places are thick with God's presence and power. But sometimes the description 
of heaven kissing earth is not accurate for thin places. Sometimes in those thin places, it's thick with darkness. Because we recognize from Scripture that all spiritual things and elements are not good. That there is a a wage, a spiritual warfare that is happening and that's raging. And oftentimes, as Christians, we can be having a picnic right in the middle of a battlefield. And we have no idea. So we wanted to start this talk about this mini-series that maybe address some of those ways in which we are oblivious to those spiritual realities to help invite us and begin to see and pray for a greater vision and understanding because when we begin to see in those thin places, then that will change the decisions that we make. That will increase our hope and our faith and our trust in God. That will motivate and empower our prayer lives. At least that's the hope. So let's turn to another passage of Scripture that we would call a a thin place. It's back in the Old Testament again, 2 Kings. 2 Kings, the book of 2 Kings is immediately after 1 Kings. Yes, good. You guys are with me. That's excellent. And, and it's a time when uh, Israel was, relatively speaking, a young nation. And they, were, uh, they just started having kings. Am I doing that the right way? I don't like that. There we go. They just started having kings, and they had prophets, Elijah and Elisha. And, and there was a kingdom, Aram, Um, that was next door, that was raiding, that was persecuting Israel. And they were sending soldiers and trying to catch the different soldiers and and kill them. And I'm going to read a story just before our main story, the story before the story. Hopefully you'll you'll see why. I'm going to start at 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 1. It says, The company of prophets said to Elisha, was the main prophet in Israel at this time. Look, the place where we, we meet with you is too small for us. Let us go to the Jordan where each of us can get a pole and let us build a place there for us to meet. And he said, go. Then one of them said, won't you please come with your servants? I will, Elisha replied. And he went with them. They went to the Jordan, began to cut down trees. As one of them was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water. Oh no, my Lord, he cried out. It was borrowed. The man of God asked, where did it fall? When he showed him the place, Elijah cut a stick and threw it there and made the iron float. So imagine he throws out a stick and the uh, axe head floats miraculously to the top of the surface so servant can grab the axe head. Lift it out, he said. Then the man reached out his hand and took it. Now, why did I read that short story before 
we uh, get to the main story. Well, one is I just think it's very humorous. To, I mean, I don't know if it happened this way, but, you know, one of the prophets chopping and, dang it, right? It slides off. I imagine, like, if it would have fell right there, he would have known where to get it, but back into the water, and it's gone, and he can't find it, and he's like, bummer. And I imagine that Elisha could have said, don't worry about it, there's other axes, we'll find some money to pay it off, or, you know, do we really need a meeting place? Let's just pray under a tree, right? There's all reasons that didn't, Elisha didn't have to do a miracle there. It, it seems so insignificant. It, it, it seems so unnecessary. It's like this little short story is tucked right there. And yet I like the story because it illustrates that we get to ask God for whatever we want, no matter how seemingly insignificant. This wasn't a matter of life and death. This wasn't about armies and so forth that we're about to read, that God didn't have to do this miracle. It was okay if it was just left and they lost the axe head. And yet, this little story that seems insignificant into their lives, they ask, and God does a really cool thing. What's that little insignificant? Oh, I won't ask God about that. that that's, that's too small. I, he doesn't care about that. According to Scripture, the great and awesome God, one true living God, knows you and cares about the details of your life. And we get to ask. Alright. Now to the main story. We'll carry on. In verse 8. Now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers. He said. I will set up my camp in such and such a place. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel. Beware of passing that place. Because the. Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God, Elisha. Time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places. You could call this prophetic intelligence gathering. Elisha, the prophet, was hearing from the Lord where uh, the king of Aram was trying to ambush and go and get, and he was sending word to the king of Israel strategically to keep them out of harm's way. Verse 11, this enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, tell me which... Which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? Someone is a spy. Someone is hearing my words and my commands. Tell me who it is. None of us, my lord the king, said one of his officers. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Yowzers. That's a disadvantage. I mean, there's many directions I could go with that, but we're going to keep moving on. Go, find out where he is, the king ordered. 
so I can send men and capture him. He's going to put an end to this prophetic intelligence gathering right away. The report came back. He is in Dothane. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God, so Elisha's servant, got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Can you keep your, your finger in there? We're going to read the rest of the story, but I just want to pause right there. I often invite you all, when we're talking about a parable of, uh, of the Lord Jesus, or many instances, to find your place in Scripture, yes? And, and we can do that with history as well, these stories in First and Second Kings. And as I was reading this, I found my place in the story. I would love to say that I found my place with Elisha, but I did not find my place with Elisha. You know where I found my place? The servant, yes. I thought about when I see difficulties and struggles, when I face opposition and I'm wrestling with these things, I would love to say that I approach this as a man of God, like Elisha, and say, well, I don't know how it's going to work out, but God, you got this, because you know me and you love me. But oftentimes I don't. How about you? When, when you see that, that struggle, that, that pain, that difficulty, are you even thinking about the spiritual significance of those challenges and difficulties? Are you thinking about, well, I've got a God who's enthroned in heaven right now. He knows me and loves me and I'm his child. He's got me in the midst of this difficulty at work. I'm still not there. I'm trying to get to Elisha. In fact, I would say that fear is usually not my primary response. For some of you, fear, like the servant, Elisha is about to say, do not be afraid. Some of us respond with fear. I usually respond with disappointment and disillusionment. And then I get a little bit complaining. God, why did you allow that to happen? I thought I was your child. I thought you loved me. I thought you care for me. I thought... You see, I, I think we have a, a tendency continually to let the, the physical circumstances and the physical realities of our lives, when we face a challenge, we're not processing as people of faith, we're not processing as children of God, we're simply looking at the physical data and giving an emotional response that often lacks faith, wisdom, and perspective. Let's continue on the story. So again, they're at Dothan, and the Arameans have surrounded the city. The servant, Elisha's servant, gets up. He sees that and goes, Yowzers, what are we going to do? Look at 
Elisha's response. Verse 16, do not, don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Um, are there chariots and horses that maybe Israel had sent up to protect their prophet? And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire, of heaven, all around them, Elisha. All the enemy came down toward him. Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike this army with blindness. So he struck them with blindness as Elisha had asked. Now, some commentators would say the, the context of the story, it seems like it perhaps was not physical blindness because you'll see the story doesn't follow. Maybe it was a, a mental confusion, a mental blindness. We don't really know, but it seems like the context could point in that direction. In whatever way, the Arameans are struck with this blindness either physical or mental blindness. Verse 19, Elisha told them, this is not the road and this is not the city. Follow me and I will lead you to the man you are looking for. And he led them to Samaria. So Elisha's being a little shrewd. I mean, he is leading him to himself, kind of, in this way. After they entered the city, Elisha said, Lord, Open the eyes of these men so they can see. Then the Lord opened their eyes and they looked. And there they were inside Samaria. This is where the king of Israel was. They were surrounded by the armies of Israel now. They were done. When the king of Israel saw them, he asked Elisha, Shall I kill them, my father? Shall I kill them? He asked twice. He's pretty enthusiastic. Yes! <laughs> Do not kill them, he answered. Would you kill those who captured, were captured with your own sword and bow? Set food and water before them so that they may eat and drink and then go back to their master. So he prepared a great feast for these Armenian, um, Aramean soldiers. And after they had finished eating and drinking, he sent them away and they returned to their master, the king. So the bands from Aram stopped raiding Israel's territory. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall when the soldiers returned to the king of Aram. So what happened? Did you, did you get Elisha? Uh, we, we met him, yes. Well, did you take him? No, he kind of led us. Why did you follow him? We don't really know why we followed him. but we're, And then we we're surrounded by Israel. And he's like, and they didn't attack you? No, they gave us a banquet. I, we're not going to lie. It was good. We're, we're full right now. And, that, and somewhere along the lines, they, then that was God's way of removing the military threat. What I'd like us to do is just think about if we continue to put ourselves in the position of the servant of Elisha, that so often we respond 
with eyes that lack faith. See what does, how does Elisha disciple? How does Elisha lead his servant into a place of greater vision and a greater faith? Certainly, he was lacking vision and he was filled with faith. Again, he was processing only from a worldly position. How does Elisha handle it? First and foremost, he says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. He's inviting faith. He's inviting, if you remember in our our Joshua series, to be strong and courageous regardless of what is before us. And then he says, verse 16, look at that again. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. What do you think about this? I think as Christians, that can be an assumption of ours. Would you agree with me? Let me read that again. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. As Christians, we have, we're told we have this amazing cloud of witnesses that's for us, that we have the presence of the living God, that we have even angelic messengers. We have heaven leveraged in favor for our lives. And yet so often, We only understand and view and see the world around us and see the challenges that we face, not with what we've been taught in Scripture, that this heavenly host is arrayed arrayed for us to have resources and strength and support. No, we, we just see the physical elements. And then I love what Elisha does, verse 17, look at it with me again. He simply prays, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. I think that's a prayer that we get to pray for ourselves. I think that's a prayer that we get to pray for one another. Lord, help me to see more. Lord, help me to recognize your work more. Lord, help me to recognize those spiritual realities. Lord, give me that discernment. There's this neat scripture, Jeremiah 33, 3, where the Lord says this. He says, call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. Read that again. Again, the Lord is saying this to his people. Call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. In other words, the Lord is saying, would you ask me? I don't want to play hide and seek with you. I've called you family. I've brought you into the family business. Jesus tells us, I want to show you and teach you and disciple you and reveal to you not just the physical reality, but the spiritual reality that you're surrounded by. 
that are a part of your life and faith and vision, or at least should be. He's saying, come and pray and ask. I often pray, James, when he says, ask for wisdom, I don't often pray, Lord, give me vision to see those spiritual realities around me. Lord, help me to recognize. Give me clarity of sight. Lord, as Elisha prayed for his servant, so I pray for myself. I pray for my family. I pray for my church. Would you let us see your work in our midst? I think this passage is inviting us to recognize the thin places, to recognize as well the true battle that's happening. Most of us are familiar with Ephesians 6.12. Let's just read it just to remind ourselves of us. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Be mindful. It's not against the physical. It's not against that co-worker that you're struggling with. Not against that fellow student at, at school. Not against the opposing party Politically, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We need to remind ourselves and ask us, Lord, continue to teach us and disciple us in this way. You know, there's a whole, maybe next year sometime, there's a whole, all these scriptures about the work of angels in our midst that I think it's worth us thinking about. Let me just read a couple of those scriptures. Psalm 91, 11 and 12. For he commanded his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. I know many would argue that that whole guardian angel concept it just might be biblical. That we just might have angels assigned to us personally that are for us. Hebrews 1.14, are not all angels ministering spirits? This is a good connect with Jacob's stairway, right? Are they not going up and down? Have they stopped on the stairway? No, that's still a reality today engaged in your life. These angels, are they not ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. Friends, this story is an invitation for us to stop being oblivious to the spiritual realities around us, that we might grow in awareness, mindfulness, that we might learn and be discipled. I have a little post-it note here, my Bible, and I know you're not going to be able to see this, are you? Can you see it almost? Can we zoom in with the camera here? Oh, do we have that? You did that, uh, Sharon? Good, you got it. All right. Now, can you make that out? What does that look like? Yes, that is, that is a little table. That's me, and I'm preaching. 
And then this little post-it note was from Pete, Peter Grant. And he said, hey, one morning, uh, Eric, this is who was behind you while you preached. Isn't that neat? Yes. Marilyn, yeah, I mean, I don't know, five to ten times, Marilyn will be like, you had this warrior angel behind you, Eric, as you preached. I've had four or five people tell me at different times that they were aware of this warrior angel. And I've asked details. He's got this big spear and shield, and he's protecting me. I've prayed that the Lord would give him a lightsaber as well, so that he would (laughs) just be that double weapon deal. You know that the way that I think about it is there's been times that I've been through really difficult stuff and have been aware that the enemy wants to take me out. Take me out of ministry. Take me really from this life, to be honest with you. And the Lord said, nope. I'm going to send a really bulky, physical, working out angel. I don't know if it's true. That's just how I see it, right? That he brings it. That's God's way of helping me remember and learn from going from the servant to Elisha and processing Battles, not just from a physical perspective. Can I return to the story of, that we started with, with Cambria and Luke? We were processing this later, and Cambria said, Dad, thanks for not freaking out with some of the things that were happening. And I said, you know, sweetie, I wasn't uh, freaking out, and I wasn't filled with fear. You know what I was filled with? I was filled with anger. I was really angry. Excuse excuse the crude expression. I was pissed off (laughs) that the enemy was going after my kids, that the enemy was trying to use this doorway of pain and sorrow and sadness and bring greater pain and loss. I had the the privilege of uh, being a part of a a class in seminary taught by a missionary called Chuck Kraft, and he wrote a book, I Give You Authority, And we would actually pray for one another and pray against the oppression uh, of uh, the demonic and the enemy. And we met in the School of World Mission, and just down the way was also the School of Psychology. And I said, "Um, Professor, how do you know the difference between, I mean, we're right there with psychology, the emotional pain and trauma, and, and the spiritual, the psychological and, and, and spiritual oppression. And he said, rats to garbage. And I remember thinking, 
I don't know what you're talking about. What does that mean? I don't, can you unpack that just a bit? He said, listen, it, it, oftentimes it's like this. There's garbage in our lives. Pain and loss and struggle. Betrayal and hurt and addiction. All that junk of life that comes. That is the garbage of our lives. And then the enemy are the rats. And they like to get into that garbage and use that as a gateway and bring greater loss and pain and sorrow. In fact, Jesus told us, John 10.10, 10, um, he said that he told us the enemy, the agenda of the enemy. Many of you know what it is, right? The thief comes to what? Kill, steal, and destroy. Kill, steal, and destroy. Friends, I wish I had better news, but the enemy is still at work. He's still looking for that garbage in our lives that we all have it. We all, to one degree or another, he's looking for that so that he might do what? Kill, steal, and destroy. Jesus is inviting us to recognize, not only in our assessment, but how we deal with those struggles. Friends, let me ask you this. What's the garbage in your life that you're wrestling with? And you haven't asked the question, I wonder what the spiritual reality is happening. What's going on in this struggle that I continue to have. It was on my heart for high school students and young adults and asked that question. I, I, I mean, I look at high school students and the young adults and I believe wholeheartedly that you all are facing greater challenges than I did when I was growing up. The, the, the element of social media alone has brought so much anxiety and stress and, and cancel culture and, and wrestling through all these things, feeling judged and comparison, feeling insecurity, all those things, feeling of less than. For you young adults, I want to invite you, would you think about the spiritual realities behind those struggles? Parents, tough to be a parent these days, right? To walk with, even if our kids are adults, right? to walk with all of these, the shame or uh, sexual identity, the, the, all of that stuff that happens, this pr pressure put on us, all of us. Can you ask the question, in your, uh, in your singleness, in your marriage, in your friendship and your work, the things that you are wrestling with, have you said, Lord, would you help me to see the spiritual realities, both when you're, it's thick with the enemy's lies and manipulation and with the strength that the heavenly host that you provide 
to us. You see, I think he's asking us to, to enter into that place so that we might change how we live, that we might change how we pray, that we might be transformed to people of the thin places, that we would not, we would be different than our friends and family who do not know the Lord. We would be different because we know the spiritual reality. We know the promises of God. We know the the true war, war that is happening in our lives. And we would live differently. And we would cooperate with the Lord. Again, John 10.10, 10, he tells us the agenda of the enemy. Jesus also tells us his agenda. What is that? I have come that you might have life. Have it to the full, have abundant life, real life. The first step is praying for discernment. The first step is saying, Lord, help me to see. Lord, help me to wrestle with and, and recognize your work. I love the story of Balaam. You know, I'm gonna skip that just for time but I would encourage you to read uh, Numbers 22 and the story where there is an angel and Balaam is riding the donkey. And here's my application from that. Sometimes we act like a jack donkey. <laughs> because we don't have the vision of one. The donkey saw the angel and veered away. And Balaam couldn't see it. Right? And then we take action. Let me read some of these action passages just as a closure. You might want to write, I have some of them in your outline, some of them you might want to write down. Psalm 26 3. For I've always been mindful, love that word mindful, applicable to today in particular, but mindful in a different way. Mindful of the Father's unfailing love and have lived in reliance on your faithfulness. Can you imagine if we saw struggles, whether they were as minute as an axe head that fell in the water or grand as an army surrounding us, can you imagine that if we believed and saw things, we're mindful of God's unfailing love for us? Can you imagine if we saw that and wrestled with the struggle and saw... It with the eyes that my God is faithful and he's got me. He's going to take care of me. Um, Matthew 17, 20, when, when the disciples faced some demonic activity and they could drive out the demons and the, Jesus had to come, they said, hey, why didn't it work for us, Jesus? Listen to his re response, Matthew 17, 20, because you have so little faith. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Write this passage of scripture down, Luke 10, 19. This is when Jesus is sending out his disciples 
I think it's the 72, not just the apostles, but the disciples. And he says, I've given you authority. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. It was the conviction of my professor that we as Christians are not only oblivious to the spiritual realities around us, but we are oblivious to the authority, the spiritual authority that we have been given in the name of Christ to come against all the works of the enemy. Again, let me just finish the story with Cambria and Luke. You know what I did? I took authority in Jesus' name. That this was my daughter. That, that Christ owned her, knows her, and loves her. Right? That he has plans and purposes. And the powers and the deceit and the lies of the enemy have no place in her life. And so we took authority and we prayed together in the name and power of Jesus Christ and corrected the lives and drew, drove out any presence, any deception, any challenge in that way. Friends, I believe the Lord is inviting us through this story to not only see the spiritual realities around us, but then take authority and pray. Pray for our children. Pray for our friends and loved ones. Pray against the enemy who's at work. He is trying to take some kind of garbage in your life and begin to twist your thinking and your understanding and get in there so that you would be dominated by that garbage. Don't let the enemy win. Invite the power and the authority of Jesus Christ. In every challenge, in every struggle, no matter how small, no matter how grand, allow this to empower and fill your prayer life. Allow it to address your hope level. Allow it to address your faith level. Allow it to address how you live in the day-to-day, -day, knowing that we have a God who knows us and loves us and cares about the details of our lives. And wants us to ask. Invites us to ask. For his understanding. His power. His authority. And therefore transform our life and faith. Would you pray with me? I just ask a moment, is there a, a difficulty or a challenge that you've really not seen with eyes of faith? It can be very small, it can be very great, we're just going to ask the Lord to pray 
Elisha's prayer for his servant. Lord, would you give us eyes to see our struggles through the eyes of faith? Would you disciple us, Lord? Lord, would you teach us the authority that we have as Christians? Would you teach us to pray in a way that reflects all that you've taught us about your work in our lives. Can we stand together? I'm going to give you the benediction. You can, uh, the uh, team will do one more song. You can hang out if you want or go and get your kids to open your hands. So, Lord, would you touch our eyes, the eyes of our heart, our physical eyes. Would you teach us to see, Lord God, all the resources of heaven that are gathered around us, Lord. Would you disciple us to be a people who truly see and recognize, who truly pray, who truly walk in your authority, Christ Jesus, not our own, but in yours and yours alone, Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you.